You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Praise the Lord. God is good. I appreciate you, Pastor. Let me use this Pentecostal microphone. Anybody here ever heard of Benny Hinn? Well, I'm Joe Rooster, and I'm glad to be. But our voice surgery, we're still trying to recover from that, and this helps me out a lot. John chapter number six, good to be back. And uh, Roanoke Rapids, Brother uh, uh, Pinky, we call him Pinky, Brother Brian and I, came in today and just took a big lung full of fresh air. (laughs) Enjoyed every minute of it. And we love Victory Baptist. I love you, Pastor. I love God's people. I mean that. And it's good to have Mama. And if you're here tonight and you are a man and you are unmarried and you are rich, we want to interview you. You don't even have to be saved. She'll get you saved if you're rich. But... I love picking at my mama about that. And the Lord is good. I appreciate the goodness of God. If God would have left us to ourself, we'd either be dead and in hell or lost without God. But aren't you glad when we wasn't looking for God, God was looking for us. Grace takes the initiative. And I'm so glad that he looked beyond my fault and he saw my need. Glory, hallelujah, God's good. And I appreciate the goodness of the Lord. John chapter number six in your Bible tonight. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus loves you. And turn back and say, boy, I wish I did, amen. (laughs) How many enjoy George's singing tonight? I love George and George Jones. Say it, no, I'm just kidding The Lord is good. Excuse me just a minute. Juanita, is that you sitting back there? It's good to see you. God bless you for being in the service tonight. John chapter number six. I want to break in the text in verse number 15. John chapter six, verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into the mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. I want to say not yet, but he's on the way. And the Bible said in verse number 18, and when the sea arose, by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 30 furlongs, underlining this in the text, they see Jesus. We ought to stop and shout right there. And they see Jesus. Notice what he's doing in the text, and they see Jesus walking, not under the sea, 
not by the sea, but on the sea. The very thing they thought would be their destruction, Jesus is walking on it. And he's not just walking on the sea, but he's going somewhere. And they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid. But he said unto them, and I love these three little big words, it is I. And he followed it with three more little big words, be not afraid. Then watch your Bible in verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately, as soon as they received him, immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. When Jesus got on board, the destination was reached. Like most of us in this room tonight, I grew up in the country. You spell it with a K, country. And country people are notorious, whether they're from the south or the north or the Midwest, for making up words. And as long as you know what they mean, they're real words. And uh, I got to thinking about some of the words that we use growing up, and I found some of them are in the dictionary. They are real words. For instance, anybody here ever heard the word traipse? Traipse. Well, that guy traped up in here like he owned a place. He just traipse around. It, that word traipse is a real word. It means to walk about. Here's a word my wife's mother has used through the years, one I can actually use in church. But anybody here ever heard the word discombobulated? Anybody ever been discombobulated? That is a real word. It is in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And pastor, when I saw the definition of the word, brother, that fits the society in which we live in. The word discombobulated means bewildered, confused, out of socket, out of joint. We would say it like this, something ain't right about that. And brother, we are living in a discombobulated society, politically, morally, even religiously, it just seems like the whole world is out of joint, confusing, bewildering, discombobulated. I thought about preaching a message on the discombobulation of society. And I guess when you get right with God, you get recombobulated. But brother, we're living in days of turmoil, confusion, and bewilderment. And I believe the night the devil is out to defeat all of God's children with worry and fret and anxiety. He'll turn your whole world upside down. And I believe in our text in John 6 that that is the word that fits these disciples. They are bewildered. They are confused the wind and the wave of uncontrollable 
circumstances. Boy, let me slow down and say that again. The wind and the waves of uncontrollable circumstances. Boy, let me say that one more time. The wind and the waves of uncontrollable circumstances was out of their hand and it was over their head. But you know what they found out in the midst of their discombobulation? That when it's out of their hand and when it's over their head, it's always under the Savior's feet. That uncontrollable wind, that unexpected storm, what was out of their control and beyond their ability, Jesus is walking on it. When it's out of their hand and over their head, it's under his feet. This passage proves to me tonight that the Lord is in ultimate control of our lives. I'm glad to report tonight that the devil is not in control. Biden is not in control. Trump is not in control. Obama, Osama, or your mama is not in control. I'm glad the sovereign God of heaven still sits upon the throne the reins are still in his hand and he is not confused. He is not bewildered. He is not discombobulated. I'm glad he is the Lord and the master of uncontrollable circumstances in your life and in mine. Let's look at it in this text tonight and there are three things that I want us to see. I want you to see the disciples. Then I want you to see the divine. And then I want you to see the destination. Now, when you look at the disciples, that's us. But when you see the divine, that's him. But when you reach the destination, that's it. And I'm glad one day all of this is gonna be it. There'll be no more storms. There'll be no more trouble. There'll be no more hurts because heaven's gonna fix it all. Look in the text tonight at the disciples. That's us. These disciples in this ship, in this storm, facing the unexpected, the uncontrollable. It is a picture of you and I as we sail through these uncharted waters of life, headed from this side to the other side. Notice in the text tonight some things that these disciples had to deal with. First of all, in the text, notice the darkness that they encountered. The Bible says twice in our text tonight that this scene comes upon them, not in the morning not in the afternoon, not in the middle of the day, but it comes upon them in the evening. In fact, the text plainly says, it was now dark. And these disciples had to go through some dark places in their life. But you know what they found out in this text? What every child of God is gonna find out. 
that he is not only the God of the day, but he is the God of the night. In fact, some of the greatest things that God did and some of the greatest utterances that God ever voiced was under the shroud or the cover of darkness. You say, how can he be the master of darkness? Well, he's the light of the world. He's the bright and the morning star. He is the day star that arises in our heart. He is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. And he operates in the night as good as he does in the day. He answers prayer in the night just as much as he does in the day. He is still aware of your circumstances in the night as much as he is in the day. For it was night when Jacob saw the ladder and the Lord standing at the top. It was in the night when he touched this thigh and his life was never the same. It was night when Elijah was in the cave. It was night when Daniel was in the lion's den. It was night when the Hebrew boys was in the fiery furnace. It was night when Jesus was born one silent night in Bethlehem. And he prayed in the garden at night. And they laid him in the tomb in the evening. But I'm glad Psalm 30 and verse 5 says, The weeping may endure for the night. Joy cometh in the morning. You go out here after church tonight and you'll look up into the heavens and you'll say, oh my, where's the sun? It's been snuffed out. Somebody stole the sun. The sun is gone forever. No, on the other side of the planet, the sun is shining. The reason why you can't see it is your world is turned upside down but you give God 12 hours, he'll write your world back upright again and the sun you saw today, it'll be shining tomorrow because he's God, he's the light of the world and he's the God of the day and he's the God of the night. And if you live long enough, you'll have some night seasons in your Christian life. There'll be a phone call and night will come. There'll be a disappointment and life will come. One of your children will fall into your arms and say, Daddy, fix it, and you can't fix it, and it'll be a night season. There'll be a doctor's visit. There'll be a call from a loved one. There'll be an uncontrollable circumstance. It'll be out of your hand, over your head. You can't stop it. You can't change it. You can't fix it. But I've come to tell you what you can't stop, what you can't change, what you can't fix is a God that walks the dark hills and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God of the day is still God in the night. The darkness they encountered. Number two in the text, notice the distance they had traveled the Bible said in our text they had rode about 25 or 30 furlongs. You say, well, what is so significant about that? Well, notice where they are when they get in this ship. The miracle before this, they're on the mountain where Jesus takes five loaves and two small fishes and feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. And at the end of that miracle, Jesus says, let's go to Capernaum. 
Now get your maps out, get your Bible map out, and look where that mountain is, where they had to go down, get in the ship, go up the coastline to the city limits of Capernaum. It, it, it is a distance of eight miles. So remember that number, say it with me, eight. Eight miles. So from the start of their journey to the end of their journey is eight miles. Well, the Bible said they had rode 25 or 30 furlongs. Get your Bible dictionary out, figure out how long a furlong is and do the math, and this is what you got. They had traveled a little over four to 4.5 miles. Now, you boys from frog level, this is deep, but hold on. If you've got eight miles to go, say that with me, eight miles to go, and you've only gone four, what does that tell you? You got four more to go. Now, if zero's over here and eight's over here and four is right here, that means they're halfway there. That means they're stuck in the middle. You know what's bad about being halfway? You're not there yet, but you're too far to turn back. You know what's bad about being halfway? You're cut off from the help you've left and you've not reached the help that's out there. You know what they call halfway? They call it no man's land. You're in half time. You're in a holding pattern. Listen to this. They had rode all night. They had gave it the best effort. They had put everything into it. And the best they could do is barely halfway. Can I believe, I believe this tonight. I believe the church is in the holding pattern. I believe we're in the halfway stage. We're not home yet. I heard this nitwit the other day say, the rapture's taking place and we're living in the millennial now. If you believe that, I've got an oceanfront condo in Tennessee I'm gonna sell you. No, this is not the millennium. Someone said the devil's already on the chain gang. If he is, he's chained over at my mother-in-law's. By the way, that song about the devil went down to Georgia, that song is not true. My wife's mother still lives in Yakinville, North Carolina. Boy, sometimes we're not home yet. But can I say this? We're not home yet, but how many of you believe tonight we're too far to turn back now? And sometimes we feel like we're just caught in the middle. We're in no man's land. No help behind us. No help in front of us. But I've come to tell somebody tonight, if the best you have done has barely gotten you halfway, stop rowing, stop fretting, stop worrying, and lay down your oar and call upon Jesus because when you are in your midlife crisis, when you are halfway, when you feel like you're in no man's land, there'll be somebody that'll walk on the water and come to where you are and take you the rest of the journey. Don't quit at halftime. 
Don't stop at halftime. Don't give up at halftime. If you are in this room tonight and you are a Georgia sports fan, you the very mention of halftime makes you break out in hives. I remember one year the Falcons finally made it by an act of God to the Super Bowl. But we had to play pretty boy Tom Brady. And I'm telling you that first half, the dirty birds were running it down pretty boy's throat. We had pretty boy Tom Brady in the phone booth, baby, dialing 911, calling his mother. But halftime, halftime. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he got saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost at halftime. I don't know. But he come out of that locker room at halftime, and it wasn't long that the dirty birds was in the cage and we done got our feathers plucked, and we done lost again, and the famous phrase of a Falcons fan, kinda like a Dallas Cowboy fan, wait till next year. Don't give up at halftime. Don't throw in the towel at halftime. Don't admit defeat at halftime. Half time's not quitting time. Half time's not retreat time. Half time's not throwing in the towel time. Half time is revival time. It's regrouping time. It's refreshing time. It's regathering time. I know we're not home yet, but I'm too far to turn back. And I may be caught in the middle, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. He'll come to you. He'll not deny you. He will not disappoint you. He will be there when you need him the most the darkness the distance number three in the text notice the despair that they felt the Bible said in the text and they were afraid say that phrase out loud with me and they were afraid can I say this tonight about fear there are two kinds of people when it comes to fear those that have been afraid and those who have lied about not being afraid. I made my brags all over America how brave I was, locked and loaded. And anybody comes to my house in the middle of the night, I'll give them what for. Well, they did. And it rocked my world. One weekend, my wife and the children went up to see her mother, and I didn't feel led to go. <laughs> don't read into that. I even prayed about it, and God said, you don't have to. <laughs> about 4.30 in the morning, I'm in that house by myself, and about 4.30 in the morning, I hear this noise this unmistakable noise of someone intruding. And boy, I reached over there to do like I normally do. Baby, go see what it is. <laughs> you see, God's called me to preach. 
Somebody's got to live at my house to preach. Baby, go see what it is. And she wasn't there. Oh, my. So I had to go see. Well, I got up with my Batman glow-in-the-dark pajamas. <laughs> I wish they hadn't told that. Reached under my bed and got my Remington 870. <laughs> Ain't no sound like that. And so I come through that door like Rambo, son. Coming down that hallway, expecting to find nothing. Sweet Jesus, what did I see? A man with a screwdriver that long, about that long, trying to come through my door. I shook it again. It was already loaded, but I shook it again. And evidently, he had heard that sound before. So he ducked. I took the safety off. I said, bless God, I just blow you right. And, I, and, I, and it hit me. If I blow that door off, my wife, a pitch a fit, she a fuss. So I didn't shoot. I reached and got my phone to call 911. I like to never found 11 on the dial. <laughs> Son, by the time I called, Clayton County 911, I said, take my house. Son, my knees was a knocking. I was out of breath. I said, I got a gun. I'm like Barney. I can't find my bullet, but I got a gun. She said, Pastor, we'll send somebody right over. And there was somebody right on the next block. And sure enough, that dude jumps up behind the bushes, walks right into a Clayton County policeman. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for a place to spend the night. He said, we got a nice room for you. And some by the time all of that was over with, How about I kept fell on TV? Elizabeth, this is the big one. Don't you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You watch three reruns a day. Well, I looked at what time it was. I got to go to the airport, catch a plane, fly to Greensboro, and it's my fault. I've watched too much TV. It's my fault. I know it is. But I got in that shower to get ready to go and all I could see was that knife coming through the shower curtain and my blood. I found out I was afraid. You say, bless God, let up. Let me tell you what you do. You don't know how you're gonna act or respond until you get in that particular place. I was afraid. And ladies and gentlemen, there is something in this world that's bigger than your pocketbook. It's bigger than your bank account. It's bigger than your college education. It's bigger than your nerves. It's bigger than your physical, emotional makeup. And brother, fear will take over and faith will begin to waver. But I'm glad to tell you when I'm afraid and I'm bewildered and I'm discombobulated, there is one that by God walks on the troubled waters that said it is I be not afraid. 
afraid. It is I be not afraid. I'm glad he is the master of our fear. He's the master of our confusion. He's peace tonight in the midst of a storm. The disciples, that's us. Oh, but number two, notice the divine. That's him. I don't want to overemphasize. I don't want to overemphasize the problem. I want to magnify the God who walks on the troubled waters, who is the answer in the midst of our problems. Look at the divine. That's Him. Boy, I love my King James Bible. I love the way it's worded. I love the way it's phrased. God is all over it, and it's just like the Holy Spirit, to put it just like this where it needs to be. It's dark, they're halfway, they're stuck in the middle, their faith has given in to fear, and look what the text says. Now here's a good Halifax County, North Carolina word, right smack dab in the middle. Anybody know what smack dab means? Right smack dab in the middle. Listen to this phrase. Watch it. It's dark. They're stuck in the middle. They're afraid. But look at the text. And they see Jesus. And they see Jesus. And they see Jesus. I want to say it's about time. Because up to this point, all they had seen was each other. Up to this point, all they had seen is the failure and the fear in the eyes of one another. All they had seen to this point was their own insufficiency and incapability. But now, somehow, it's, by the way, it's still dark. The wind is still blowing. I feel like preaching. The lightning is still flashing. The waves are still beating against the ship. But right smack dab in the middle of it, they don't see themselves. They don't see each other. They don't see the failure and the fear of one another. They're looking above the wind. They're looking above the storm. They're looking above the clouds. And they see Jesus can I say tonight, it would behoove all of us to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of each other, off of the failures and the fears of everybody around us and turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. I promise you tonight, if I stare at you, I'm gonna find fault. If you just glimpse at me, you're gonna find fault. But there is one tonight, you can telescope from afar, a microscope from up close, and you'll have to say like Pilate, I find no no fault in him. He's the perfect one. He's the sinless one. He's the faithful one. Why don't you get your eyes off of your family and off of your enemies and off of your friends and off of the people that's done you in and done you wrong and look unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. Hallelujah. Of our faith and they see Jesus. And from that moment, the scene begins to change. They see Jesus walking, not under, 
not by, not around, own. The very thing they thought would be their destruction, he's owned it. Now, even though I got this Pentecostal mic, I don't want to sound like a televangelist preacher. But I may to tell you there is victory in Jesus. I think I'm preaching at a church named after that. By the way, the name of this church ain't Victim Baptist Church. It's Victory Baptist Church. You say, why do we call it victory? Because people out here in the world bound by the chains of sin and the addictions of sin, they can come in this place and hear a message. Glory to God, that'll give them victory. And during the week when the devil comes and plagues you with fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and depression, here you go. And this combobulation, aren't you glad there's a place where God will let the chains fall off and the joy bells ring again and the birds sing again? We're not a bunch of victims. We are victors in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say it like this? He's on your fear. He's on your crisis. He's on your need. He is on your broken heart. He's not lagging behind. He's not a day late nor a dollar short. In fact, he was there before you got there. And he'll be there when you leave from there and be at the next place before you leave and before you get there. He's walking on it. He's the victor. He's the emancipator. He is the liberator. He is right for what is wrong in our lives. Can I lift him up just a minute? He's perfect. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's righteous. He's eternal. He's personal. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the bright of the morning star, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the king of every king, and the Lord of every Lord, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Oh, the God of the present is the God of the past, and he's the God of the future. He's the almighty God. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Christ Jesus the Lord. He is God. He is everything. He is not behind. He is not lacking. He's on it. He's on it. He's on it. He is on the water. And notice two things about the divine. Number one, he's a walking. And number two, he's a talking. Notice he's out there walking on the sea. And Pastor, when I saw this, I kicked the back end of my choir robe out. This blessed me to death. He wasn't out there just walking around He's going somewhere. Notice what your King James Bible says in the text. And they see Jesus walking on the water, said with me, drawing nigh unto the ship. Say that with me, drawing nigh. Boy, I love to study words. Words are vehicles, ride them often. The word draw in the Bible, when I found the meaning of that word, this text exploded in my heart. 
You know what that word draw means? It means to be induced. It means to be pulled in a direction by a powerful force. And the Bible is filled with drawing. And 99% of the drawing in the Bible is a sovereign God drawing, pulling, inducing a lost sinner unto himself. Can I just vote on something? Anybody in this room tonight remember when you got drawn? When you got induced? When God drew you by the power of the Holy Spirit? There's people that went to church just to shut somebody up. If I'll go, maybe the wife or my young'uns or my husband or my neighbors will quit asking me to go. I'm gonna go just to shut somebody up, but I'm not interested. I'm not gonna listen. And soon as it's over, I'm gonna get out of there. That's what you thought. But while you sat there uninterested, God got you interested. He induced you. You said, I'll go to church and as soon as it's over, I'm leaving and I'm not gonna get down there and wallow around like them holy rollers. But while you sat there totally uninterested, somebody got in your pew and said, come with me. And he drew you. He pulled you unto himself. Oh, I remember that Thursday night, 1979, in Reedsville, North Carolina, when I got induced, when I got drawn, when God drew me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, aren't you glad when you were interested in God, God was interested in you, and when you were looking for God, God was looking for you, and when God wasn't on your mind, you was always on his mind. But this text, This text is the other way around. Now Jesus is induced. Now Jesus is being pulled. Now Jesus has an urge. He is drawing nigh unto the ship. I want to ask you tonight, what could induce the sovereign God of heaven. What could ever induce and draw God's affection and attention that he would literally move toward them? Well, I can tell you tonight, it wasn't the bow, it wasn't the stern. It wasn't the wheel, it wasn't the anchor, it wasn't the ropes, it wasn't the sails. No, it was them souls on that boat. His disciples, he created them. He has called them. He has converted them. And a few chapters, he's gonna take them to the upper room and fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
They're gonna walk out of that upper room in the power of the Holy Ghost and in the words of the book of Acts, turn the world upside down. Listen to this. We're gonna have church 2,000 years later on the banks of the Roanoke River right here in sleepy old Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. We're gonna have church 2,000 years later because of what God did in the lives of those men on that boat. God sent them all over the world and we're having church 2,000 years later because what God did for them boys on that boat. He loves them. He has their best interest in mind. He's gonna do something in their lives and he's not about to let the devil drown them in that sea. Somebody holler hallelujah right there. He's not about to let the devil destroy them until his divine sovereign purpose is accomplished in their life. Oh, you say, preacher, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose it. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to hold a God's unchanging hand and realize he ain't gonna lose you. You can't lose somebody that won't lose you. Nathan, come here a minute. Now that's a big old boy. You lose him, you're blind. But son, you can't lose me because I won't lose you. You can't lose me because I'm not going to lose you. I can't lose you because you ain't going to lose me. You know why? You're going where I'm going. Now, son, I've been exercising on this treadmill. I can't lose him. He can't lose me because I'm going where he's going. He's, I'm tired. Thank you, buddy. How you going to lose the Lord? This is country, but I'm in the country. I ain't preaching in no Bible college, so I ain't gotta mind my manners. When the Lord latched a hold of you, he don't plan unlatching. Well, I'm gonna unlatch. You can't unlatch somebody that's latched on to you and he will not let go. You say, but I fail the Lord. Take a number and get in line but I don't always do right. Take a number and get in line, but I don't even feel saved tonight. Take a number and get in line. Standing somewhere in the shadows of your discombobulation is a savior that's drawing, coming. He loves you. He's got your best interest in mind and he'll be there just when you need him the most. He's a walking, but notice the text. He's a talking. As he's drawing nigh, he is saying something. What is he saying? It is I. It is I. I want to say, really? Who else would walk on water in the dark? You see, there is no darkness that can put out the light because the star shines at night. Somebody help me. Oh, but there's no darkness. I'm about to preach to myself. 
there is no darkness that can put out the light, but there is no disturbance that can silence his voice. Glory. Not only did they see him in the darkness, they heard him in the midst of the storm. Well, aren't you glad he's got a still small voice that's louder than the thunder and the lightning and the wind and the devil's trumpets? I'm glad the sheep hear his voice. We know him and a stranger we will not follow. Tonight, he's walking. Tonight, he's talking. You can see him. You can hear him. You've not forsaken. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. Standing somewhere in the shadows is the way walker and the peace speaker and the nerve calmer and the need provider and the joy bringer and the devil defeater and the grave robber. Hallelujah. There is one who is not bound by the devil. It is I. It is I. Be not afraid. That's the divine. But number three in closing tonight, Notice, I got wrote in my outline, holler hallelujah right here. <laughs> hallelujah right here. The destination. You see, the disciples, that's us. The divine, that's him. But when you get to the destination, that's it. And watch your Bible how it unfolds in the text. Notice verse 21. I see some humor in this. Then they willingly received him into the ship. I want to say, I guess so after all of that, they's probably glad to see him. Now, I'm not like some of my friends. I don't know everything about the Bible. I got some friends that knows everything about the Bible. They know who the Antichrist is. I asked one fellow one time, I said, you preach on him so much, you act like you know him. He said, I do, I've been married to his daughter for 40 years. I didn't say I said it, he said it. I got one friend, he knows how many hires is in the horse's tail in Revelation 19. I don't know, but I do know this. I believe the difference between them drowning and them being delivered is verse 21. When it said, and they willingly received him into the ship. I don't know what denomination they were, but I can tell you this, they're not independent Baptists. At least the kind I pastored for almost 40 years. Well, they just said this, we got it. We got it. It's my ship. I'm the owner. This ain't my first rodeo. This ain't my first storm. I I grew up on Lake Gaston. <laughs> I know all about the tail race. I got it. It's mine. I've been through it before. I've made my living. I've raised my family. I fed my kids fishing on this lake. I got it. No. They said, 
Can I illustrate willingly receiving him into the ship? Glory to God, come on, Jesus. Where have you been so long? I can't do it anymore. This storm's too big. This ocean's too big. I'm bewildered. I'm discombobulated. For the first time in my life, it's out of my hand. It's over my head. Come on in. Come on in. And when they willingly, willingly, tonight somebody needs to wave the white flag of surrender and say, God, I can't, but you can. I'm too small, but you're way big enough. I am not able to help myself, but I cast myself into the care of the sovereign, righteous, eternal, faithful God of heaven. You willingly let him in your life and business will pick up. You say, how much? Notice verse 21. And then they willingly received him into the ship. And notice the next phrase. As soon as they willingly received him into the ship, what is the very next word? And immediately. You know what it immediately means? Right now. You spell that R-A-T-N-O-W. Right now. Instantaneous. And all of God's people said, no, no, no. And all of God's people said, Did you bring your snapper with you tonight? And all of God's people said, they had told all night glory and barely got halfway. But as soon as they said, come on in, Jesus. You ready? The ship was at the land where they went. Pastor, I'm not making this up. I didn't get this off of sermonaudio.com. This is not a Maze Jackson, Joe Arthur illustration. My Lord, David Gibbs can't even tell anything this good. Can I get an amen right there? The Bible said immediately they was at the land where they went. You say, what's so big about that? Remember about an hour ago in my introduction, I said they had four miles, four miles left. It taken them all night to go four and they got four miles left. But when Jesus got on board at midlife, at halftime, the four miles it took them all night to go they go the last four miles. I ain't making it up. It's right there in the text. This is not in RG's Lee 1,000 illustrations. I'm not even dreaming. I'm not putting no jam on the bread or butter. I'm not even using my wild frog level imagination. 
I'm reading right out of God's infallible eternal word. They told all night and got halfway. And when Jesus stepped on that boat, they were there. You say, how fast a boat is that? Shazam. Oh, you say, what are you driving at? Boy, sometimes the burden seems unbearable. The mountain seems unclimbable. The battle seems unwinnable. It looks like the battle's lost and the game is lost and the devil is won and you hurt and you fret and you pray and you beg God and you trust and it seems like the farther you run and the harder you push, the more behind you get and you look around and all you see is the lightning and the thunder and the wind and the waves over your head. But about that time faith kicks in, here it comes walking on the water and just when you think it's about done, you reach the destination. Their destination was realized and their destination was reached. You say, who made it? Every one of them. And nobody got thrown overboard on the way. And I believe when they got to where they were going, they looked back and went, wow, that was fast. Well, that wasn't too far. That wasn't too long. That wasn't all that bad. Because it seems like when victory comes, you know how fast it, you know how long it takes God to answer your prayer. You know the Bible said he's coming in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. You know how fast that is. You know all the devil, glory to God. You know all the, you know all the Lord's got to do to the devil is say, leave him alone. Fear, get out of his life. Anxiety, let that man go. Walk out of that valley. Shake off the doubts and the ashes of defeat and realize when the uncontrollable, unexplainable, unexpected storms and winds and waves over your head, they're always under his feet because he is a God that can settle it. You ready? And all of God's people said, you say, did it really happen like that? I think it did. As soon as they reached the destination, and I'm glad the church is about to step off on the sunny banks of sweet deliverance. And this could be your night. This could be your night when God turns it around. And instead of being defeated, you're on the victory side. Because remember tonight, when it's out of your hand, 
and over your head. It's under his feet. For about 35 years now, everybody in the world has been telling me, resign your church, be an evangelist. Resign your church, be an evangelist. Resign your church, be an evangelist. And here's one reason why I've never done that. Because the Lord ain't never told me to do that. Not only that, in spite of all of my foolishness and stupidity and discombobulation and all of my running around the country preaching everywhere, I have a pastor's heart and I can't get rid of it. I love them people. I've given them 39, almost 40 of the best years of my life. You say, oh no, life begins at 60. You're crazy. You got rooms for rent upstairs. You are one french fry short of a happy meal. <laughs> You'll be there. You see what you got to look forward to? But I love those people. And I've walked with them through some of the darkest, ugliest moments of time. I've held their hands when their houses burnt to the ground. I've held their hands when their sons died with AIDS. I've held their hands when their family has embarrassed them beyond reproach. I've held their hands when they buried their daughters at 30 years old with incurable cancer. And I ain't even scratched the book. I've sat there and held them in their arms where their mates were unfaithful. You name it, been there, done that. And I used to say, got the t-shirt, got the scars. And I've watched those people has held through everything it had at them. And I've watched them shake. And I've watched some of them crumble. And I've even seen some of them look like they were going down. But one Sunday morning, that little hand goes up one more time, reaches up toward the master. And here he comes and lifts him up and said, Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.